Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. How many football fans do we have here today? Is anybody like way into NFL football? Yeah, we got a couple. So I'm a football fan, and uh, I, I was a football fan for a long time, though, of my life. And, and when I first started watching the game, it was really difficult to know what was going on. Has anybody had that experience? Like, watching the game, it's just that everything's moving so fast, and there's a lot of activity happening on the screen, and, like, just dudes on top of dudes, and then they pull dudes off of dudes, and then something happens, and you're like, oh, that was great score. That was kind of my experience with football, but the more I watched it and the more I got used to it, I started to like understand what was happening in the game. And, and today, I, more because I have a platform, I just want to tell a quick story that highlights kind of how awesome I am a little bit. And again, I have the stage. When you have the stage, you can talk about yourself sometimes. So a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were watching a football game, and I, this is dead true, okay? Watching the game, and something happens, people running around, pylons, whatever, whistle blows, and a flag comes out. And I lean back in bed watching it with my wife, and I go, and this is all I say. I say, holding, offense, five-yard penalty. And then I stopped. And my wife looks at me, and she's like, what? I said, no, holding, offense, five-yard penalty. And then she's like, okay, whatever, you're weird. And then we wait. And then all the activity's happening, and the refs are talking to each other, and a ref walks up on the screen, and he walks up on camera, and he goes, holding, offense, five-yard penalty. <laughs> and you know what my wife said? She said, you are the sexiest person alive. She didn't say that, but I will say this. She was very impressed. I don't know if she was as impressed with me as I was impressed with myself, but here's what was so cool about that. I've been watching football for many years, and I just had this moment when I saw it and I called that thing out. I remembered when I first started watching the game. It's like I would have had no idea what was going on. But the more I begin to understand football and how it works, the more I enjoy it and the better the experience is. Because I think the more we understand a thing, the better our experience with that thing is. And the opposite is true. Do you have any fantasy football players in the room? You had a fantasy football league? There's players on a fantasy league, and you guys are the people, you know everything, you know all about the players, you're doing all the research, and like you're messing your league around, you're tr making trades, you know, you are the people who understand all of that fantasy stuff. And then there are people on fantasy leagues who are there because their husband or wife was on a league that just needed an extra player, and they were like, okay, sign me up, right? And so you're on the league. You don't know jack squat about football. You don't give a rip about any of the people on your team because it's just a bunch of names that you've never heard, and maybe you're hoping that just by some dumb luck you will win the, the pot of money at the end of the league. Any, is there anyone like that in the room? I know there's one right there, right? Okay, maybe not. I know we have those people, and the thing is, like, you're in a league. Like, you're, you're in the league, but you don't really, you're not really playing the game, okay? You never look at your lineup. You're never messing with players. You just, you just kind of set it and forget it, and then you just let it go. And, and for you, like, I think for people who are playing fantasy football on that level, because they don't totally understand what's going on, I think it's hard to kind of care what's going on. And the thing is, again, you're in the league, but you're not really playing the game. And, and as a result, because you're not really playing, you don't really pay attention to it. It's, it's this, it doesn't add anything to your life. It's just kind of there. Now, I think that there are Christians and there are followers of Jesus who would understand exactly what this is about. Because when it comes to your faith, when it comes to following Jesus, 
you're in the league, but you're not really playing the game. I think that there's some of us as followers of Jesus who, you know, maybe we like the church thing. We like the relationships that we have with people. Uh, maybe we like the music and we like the services and it's fun. We like having a place for our kids to come and, and make friends and hang out with other kids. But at the end of the day, if we had to evaluate the impact of our faith, I think that many of us would say that it doesn't really have much of an impact on our lives. I think there may be those of us who would say when it comes to our faith that you know, it's, it's a good thing and it, you, know, you like it, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't add much to your life. And I think that, that there may be followers of Jesus who don't know or don't really understand what's going on. I'll even say this. I think there are followers of Jesus who are experiencing God's grace but don't get it. And as a result of not understanding this thing there that they're experiencing, maybe it makes it a little easy to walk away from it or to take it for granted or to simply just see it as something that doesn't add much value to their lives. Now, even as I say that, I know that kind of comes across as a little judgmental. I just want you to know, like, I totally get it. Like, if that's you, I completely understand because, I mean, we said it earlier, is that our understanding of a thing improves our experience of a thing. And when we don't necessarily understand a thing, it makes it more challenging to, to enjoy it. And I believe that there's probably a lot of followers of Jesus who don't really understand what's really at work and what's happening in their lives and their relationship with God. You maybe understand the religious aspects of it. You understand the things you're supposed to do, the rules that you're supposed to follow when it comes to religion. But rules and religion, if we're all being totally honest, never added anything to anybody's life except maybe a little bit of structure. And when it comes down to it, you may be in the league, but you're not really playing the game. You may actually be here and you're not a follower of Jesus at all. You're not a Bible person or a church person. And yet when it comes to this, you still understand this idea of, of, of being part of something that is, is rules-based or trying to live your life in a certain way because you want to be a good person or you want to hit some mark. But understanding and feeling like it just isn't kind of measuring up and it's just not working. Here's the thing. I believe that there are aspects of a life of faith, specifically aspects of life of following Jesus, that if we understood them could transform everything for us. And you may be experiencing a relationship with God, and you may be experiencing God's grace, which is something we've been talking about over the last several weeks in this message series. You may be experiencing God's grace, but because you don't really understand what's going on, you're missing out on key components and key elements of what God is doing. And if you got it, you might be sitting back in church, and you might be going holding offense five yards, boom, drop the mic. And that's the experience I want for all of us to have in our relationship with Jesus. I want you to get it. And so, for example, like when it comes to this kind of churchy kind of Christian term salvation, when it comes to that, I think that many of us kind of operate under the assumption of what we are taught when we were kids in Sunday school. Maybe you grew up in church, and that's this, is that salvation is that you invite Jesus into your heart, maybe you raise your hand in a service one time, and then you're saved, and that's it, and it's done, and it's, and it's an it's an over thing, and you get to go to heaven, and it's settled. Uh, maybe, maybe you, again, you're not a Bible or a church person, but you maybe have family members who are, and you've kind of heard this, and you've even thought like, okay, that doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense, but, but this idea that salvation is like you just say yes, and then you're done, and that's all you have to do for the rest of your life, and it's good. But did you know that when it comes to the teaching of the New Testament, that salvation is actually taught as more of a process than a one-time event? That there's 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 kind of three phases 
of salvation that are described in the New Testament. Uh, and, and those phases are, are interesting because they're, we, we see them in the language that's used in the New Testament. And so we see language that talks about salvation as you have been saved, as something that happened in the past. And then at other points in the New Testament, we'll see language that, that says you are being saved or we're being saved, that it's this present tense thing that's happening right now. And then there's also places in the New Testament where it talks about, and this is interesting because it's, it's in reference to people who are followers of Jesus, but saying that we followers of Jesus are, are looking forward to or, or yearning for the day when we will be saved. And so what's interesting about salvation is it's, it's a process made up of three, these three phases. And what I want to do today is I want to break down um, some of those phases, and then just dig into one of them specifically. So the three phases of salvation in the New Testament, and we're going to get super like Bible college theology here for a second, and so like hold your breath, like activate your brain for a second. We'll get to the fun stuff later, but just hold on with me, okay? So the first one is this, this, this past tense, you have been saved, is, it's called justification. And justification is basically when you are forgiven of your sin, and when God imputes or um, he puts Jesus' righteousness onto you. So your sin is forgiven, and then the goodness, the righteousness of Christ, the perfection of Christ is then covered you. So imagine that Jesus has just this righteous jacket, which has, if it's called a righteous jacket, it's got to be like black leather. You know what I'm talking about? Like the movie Grease. Righteous jacket, dude. I don't, I don't know. That, that's terrible. I mean, so anyway, so we've got this like righteous black leather Jesus jacket on, and now God forgave you of your sin, and when he looks at you, when he sees you, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus, because you're wearing Jesus' sweet leather jacket. And, so, and in fact, justi justification, or being justified, uh, an easy way to remember it is, is justified means that when God looks at you, it's just as if you had never sinned. That you've been justified before God. Your sin is gone, and now when God looks at you, he looks at you just as if you had never sinned at all. Now, there's some of us who are like, oh, dude, when I think about the worst things that I've done in my life, that's like, that's like, are you, really? Like, how could God look at me just as if I had never done that thing, or if I'd never been at that place, or if I'd never hurt that person the way that I did? But that's what's so cool about, like, God's grace and understanding how big and radical and powerful it is. It, because in God's grace, justification means that whatever you did, it's justified before God. Now we think about justified or justification as kind of this legal term, right? And it's, you know, it, it's a justifiable thing that somebody did. So, you know, for example, let's, let's say you shot somebody. You know, someone breaks into your house and, you know, they're trying to stab you with a knife. And if you shoot them... That's a justified shooting, right? But if someone cuts you off in traffic and you shoot them, that is not justified, okay? That is not a justifiable shooting. So when we think about the legal term justification or justified, we think about things that like it was tolerable, it was okay for me to do this in this circumstance, in this context, but it was not okay for me to do it in this context, and it will never be okay for me to do in this context. And when we see justification... Through the eyes of this kind of legal definition, it, it kind of hangs out that way. These things can be justified. You know, maybe some of them really get to the borderline, but I can justify these things in my mind. You know, I was having a bad day, or I had a couple things to drink, or whatever reason, I can justify this. But then there's things that we look at in our lives, or maybe we look at in the lives of other people, that other people have done, and we could go, there's just no justification for that ever. 
But what's so beautiful about God's grace and radical about God's grace and intimidating and maybe a little scary about God's grace is there are no things, there is nothing that God looks at and says, I can't justify that. Because justification isn't about what we have done, it's about what God has done. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and this, is, this is cool, this is what he said. Romans chapter 8, if you could only read one chapter of the Bible for like the rest of your life, like Romans chapter 8 is probably that chapter. And this is what the Apostle Paul says right at the beginning. He says, so now, and when he says now, this is what he means. He says, now, now that you are followers of Jesus, so now that you have a relationship with Jesus, now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So now, in Jesus, now in this new relationship that you have with God, there is no condemnation. But God, I mean, what about like... What about that thing I did that I can't, like, when I look myself in the mirror, I can't shake it. It was really bad, and I feel terrible about it. God's like, no condemnation. You're not judged for that anymore. It's gone. But, God, you don't know how big and bad that feels. Like, God, that's the thing that if, like, if anybody found out about it, I, it would be over for me. God, just know there's no condemnation. But, God, what about this person? And, like, you know... Yeah, they raise their hand, they want to be a follower of Jesus, and they say they put their faith in him, but they're not changing, and they're still living this life this specific way. I mean, they're, they're screwing up all the time. You know what, God? I don't even think that they think that what they're doing is wrong. How, how could, how are they, can they be good before you if they're not even willing to admit that what they're doing is wrong, and they're not even willing to change? I mean, how is that, how is that okay? Shouldn't there be some condemnation there? And God's like, nope, no condemnation. In Jesus, your life, judgment is over. Do you get that? Condemnation is over. Now, outside of Jesus, we live this kind of normal, like, cultural life where we evaluate people. And, and honestly, let's just be honest. We evaluate ourselves based on the good and the bad. And we weigh the good versus the bad. And we determine whether or not we're a good person or we had a good day or we're, we're doing, we're, you know, aces based on how that scale balances out on the good side. Even as followers of Jesus, that's kind of a default. And we judge ourselves and we judge other people. And this is what God wants us to understand. And this is what, this is an absolutely crucial thing for us to understand when it comes to grace and to justification. And it's that when we come to Jesus in faith, this is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. He says it's, it's through faith that you are saved by grace. So when we come to Jesus by faith, by putting our trust in him, that he takes us out of this old system of judgment based on right and wrong, of evaluation based on good and bad, and then condemnation or reward based on what we've done. He removes us from that system completely, and he places us because of our faith in him and because of what he has done into a new system where judgment and condemnation don't exist anymore. For followers of Jesus, condemnation is a word that does not exist anymore. If you feel condemned for what you have done, my friend, you need to understand that is not coming from God. 
Because when you say yes to Jesus, that phase is completely over. Look how Paul continues to write. He says that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Now, Paul was Jewish, and, uh, and even back then, Christianity kind of sprung up out of a Jewish culture. And so even though Paul did his ministry mostly to people who weren't Jewish, this, these kind of Jewish um, attachments were still there, and he kind of used it as a reference point. And he's saying this, the Jewish people thought that following the laws of their religion could make them right with God. And he's like, but we know that was, that's impossible. It was impossible for the Jewish law to make people right with God because at some point we've all violated that law. And, and, you're, and I'd be surprised if there's very many people in here who come from a Jewish background, but we all come from some sort of background of the rules. We all have a background of what's right and what's wrong. And maybe, maybe your background isn't a, a religious background. I mean, religion is full of do's and don'ts that we have to follow in order to measure up, in order to be made right with God. But maybe you're not even uh, from a spiritual background at all, but your do's and don'ts are still there. Maybe they were developed by your parents. Maybe, maybe you, there's a moral code that you've kind of processed and developed for yourself, but fact, you know, I hate to say it, fact, even if you made your own moral code, you violated it. Because none of us have, have even the capacity to live up to our own standards of perfection. And you know what it means when we can't live up to a standard or hit the mark? That's sin. And whether it's violating your own standard of your own personal conscience or violating uh, the guidelines, or the, the structures that we believe God has given us to live by, missing the mark is sin. Missing the mark is brokenness. And, and Paul's like, the law of fill in the blank, whatever it is, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, because of our own internal brokenness. Rules can't make you good. Following them cannot make you good. So God did what the law couldn't do. And he sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. He said, you know what, Jesus? You're perfect. You've lived perfectly. You've lived a perfect life. So let's take that jacket of perfection off and let's swap it out. And I want you to take their disgusting, dirty, messed up, gross, sin-covered jacket and Jesus took that and he put it on himself, dirty, full of holes, and smelled like B.O. and cigarettes and gross things. And, you know, I don't know, just ugh. And then he gave us, you know, that sweet black leather jacket that's just like awesome because it was his righteousness. And he made this exchange with us. C.S. Lewis called it this, the great exchange that he made on our behalf. And now because of what Jesus did, we're justified before God. And so now when God looks at us, it's as if we had never sinned because Jesus got involved. And he did something that the law of Moses, the law of religion, the law of spirituality, the law of culture, the law of our own you know, individual moral code could never do. And that's make us right and put us in a right relationship with God. Because even though we were guilty and even though we were condemned, because there used to be a before now, and that before now was we were all under condemnation. We were all guilty. But now, even though we were guilty, even when we were fully guilty, even when we didn't even know we were guilty and didn't care that we were guilty, 
God sent Jesus to justify us before him. And there, look at what Paul says in Romans 8, chapter, or 8, verse 4. He says, why did he do this? He did it so that the just requirement of the law... The law has expectations and requirements that have to be met so that the requirements would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the Spirit. He, this is, check this out. There's a couple things in this that are just awesome and just speak to the power of God's grace and the depth of his love for you and for me and the radical nature of his forgiveness. The first is this, is that he did it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't make it happen on our own. Again, it, for, it's grace that we're saved through faith. And it's so that no, nobody can boast about being saved on their own. We couldn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. God knew we were going to screw up, knew we were going to be beyond redemption on our own. And he initiated on his own a plan so that we could be made right with him. And why did he do it? Look at what Isaiah 43, 25 says. God's, this is God talking to you. It says, I Yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Now that's crazy. If I did that, I'd be like, I will blot out your sins for your sake, so that you fully understand that you really botched that thing, and that you understand that I was the one who saved you, and that maybe... When I need to just get a leg up, I might rub your face in it just a little bit, okay? Because you need to know that you screwed up, and for your sake, I did it. But no, God says, for my sake, I will blot out your sins. That means this. This, this is crazy. You are so special and awesome and incredible to God that God looks at the sacrifice that he made to save you as something that he did for his benefit. Because God sees his sacrifice so that he could have a relationship with you. So that he could remove the barrier between him and you. He sees that as to his benefit. God loves you so much that on your worst day, it's his gain to do whatever he has to, to move whatever mountains he has to, so that he can have a relationship with you. That's how big, that's how loving, that's how amazing and radical God's grace is. He moved heaven and earth for you. When you couldn't, when you couldn't do anything on your, on your own, when you didn't even know you needed heaven and earth to be moved on your own, he did it for you. And all that we have to do is put our, our faith in Jesus and say yes to Jesus. And what's, I mean, that's not even a thing we do, right? It's not even like we earn it by putting our faith in Jesus. Putting faith in Jesus is just the key that unlocks the grace. That's just the process by which we just receive it. Like, you know, when you open up a Christmas present, are you like, man, I worked for this. Whew. No, that's just the process of receiving the gift. And that's what faith is for us. Jesus wrapped the gift. He set it in front of us. And he said, there you go. You know what faith is? It's saying, all right, I guess I'll open this. God does it. God initiated it. God made it happen. God's incredible. And I just want to state for the record, that cricket you're hearing, that does not mean that this is boring, okay? That means it's just a, he's, he's amening in the corner over there. 
Okay, so, so God's grace and God's justification is so big and so radical and so vast that it literally covers all of us. It covers those of us who on our worst day we stole a paperclip from the office and we're like, oh, I hope nobody knows I stole a paperclip. And it covers those of us who are like, dear Jesus, if anybody knew what I had done, I would literally get struck by lightning in this place. I'm scared I'm going to catch fire just being in this auditorium right now. Like that's, that's how big God's grace is to cover all of those things. But here's our problem with justification. Our problem with justification is not the idea that it is possible or that it could happen. Our problem with justification is in how we translate God's description of what it is. So Romans 8.1 says this, so now there is no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. Okay, that means it is not there. It does not exist. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we translate that a little bit differently when we read it. You see, when we, we read that verse, in fact, I'm going to bring up our translation. This is how we read it. We read, so now there is less condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we come to him, and, 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 and we're covered in shame and guilt, and, and we're just, we want to deal with this stuff that is tearing us down and things we can't stop doing, and we want a way to deal with those things. And we want God to make us right with him but at the end of the day, we know that we should still probably feel a little guilty. Because I still did that thing. And maybe there's those of us who we're totally comfortable with the fact that when I come to Jesus, that I am forgiven of all of my sin in the past. That I'm given a clean slate, I'm given a new start, and I can accept that. But tomorrow, I know I'm going to screw up again. And so I got a little bit of condemnation back. I mean, Jesus took care of all that, but, but then I did this. And then the next day, it's like, shoot, I did this. I'm ah, stinking trying. I can't, I don't know why this stupid habit, I can't shake it or get rid of it. The Apostle Paul talks about this too, like this human nature thing. Apostle Paul like wrote most of the New Testament. He started basically the church in the first century. And you know what he said about this? He's like, he's like the things that I don't want to do, I keep doing them. And he's like, the things that I know I should do, I don't do them. I can't seem to help myself. Like, we all know what that's like. And so I'm good that, that when I came to Jesus, you know, on September 29th, 2019, that everything I did from September 28th before, that that was forgiven. But the crap I did on October 1st, <sighs> condemnation. I've just recondemned myself. And this is what we do. We look at ourselves and we say, you know what, God is, God's mitigated me with less condemnation. He's made it better, but I still did stuff wrong and so I need to be condemned. Or on the other side of it, maybe there's those of us who we're pretty good at being pretty good. But we look at others and we're like, you know, I'm comfortable with my forgiveness. And I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm trying to live a great Christian life. But that person... I mean, yeah, I know they raised their hand and they said they wanted to become a follower of Jesus. And I know that, you know, like, sure, I accept that maybe God forgave them for all the things that they did, but they haven't changed. They're still doing the same crap they did before they came on that Sunday and raised their hand. And they should probably feel a little bit condemned for that. I'm okay with them not being condemned for everything that came before, but I mean, they, they got to get their act together and they haven't. So they should probably feel a little bit condemned. And we have, when we diminish God's grace, the power of it, and when we diminish what, diminish what justification really is and what it covers, we accept 
a little bit of guilt, a little bit of judgment, a little bit of condemnation. We diminish the power of God's grace in our lives. And rather than, man, rather than God's grace and God's justification, rather than it being this complete cure to the sin problem in our lives, we shrink it down into this prescription that we take to just kind of deal with the symptoms of sin in our life. If I can just feel a little less guilty, if I can just feel a little better about myself, then I'm good. But all we've done is we've just created this whole new little law. We've taken the beauty of God's grace that covers everything and we've made it into a new little set of just, these are just the Jesus regulations that that we've just got to make sure we follow so that I can be justified, so that I can stand before God. And, or even worse, we put those expectations on others. And we communicate to them that God's grace and his justification is for you. If and when you're willing to make the changes in your life that you need to make. There's this, uh, there's this story I, I want to share that was from the early days of Compass. It was years ago, we, we did one of our very first baptism services. And there was a woman in our church who had, she had just come to a relationship with Jesus. Brand new Christian. And, and she, I mean, she, her life was messy. Her life was really messy. And, and she was in what, she was in what, you know, people might call a, a, a sinful sexual relationship. She was in this relationship and it was, it was bad and it was messy. And, but man, this woman, she, she accepted Christ. And when God came into her life, there was this joy. There was this new life that, that, filled her up but the reality was the reality is this is that she said yes to Jesus but she didn't say yes to like all of every rule every guideline and everything that was in the entire bible about how you're supposed to live because she didn't even know what all of those things were when she said yes to Jesus she didn't know the 10 commandments she didn't know all of the rules and and guidelines of holiness and, and the ways that we're supposed to live in order to live a holy life standing before God. She didn't know any of those things. She just knew that she needed a savior and she invited Jesus into her life. And I can tell you when she did, Jesus came in and he forgave her of her sin and he put on her sweet leather jacket onto her and her life was changed. We happened to have a baptism service just you know, a week or so after she became a follower of Jesus. And we baptized her and it was awesome. I was so excited. And after I baptized her, um, I got a phone call from um, one of the the leaders at another church um, that we kind of have a relationship with. And he was really upset with the fact that we had baptized this woman. He's like, don't you know that she is in a sinful sexual relationship? How could you baptize her? How could you baptize someone who's... The evidence of their life is that they are still in sin. How could you do that? That is, that's unacceptable. And just so you know, he was yelling at me over the phone so loud that I was in my bedroom. My wife was outside the bedroom on the other side of the door and she could still hear him yelling at me because we'd baptized this woman. And when I, when I got a moment, I, I just said, I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that every single person we've ever baptized had completely dealt with all of their sin before we, we baptized them? Before we, we walked them through this step of discipleship, of them just saying that they are a follower of Jesus and declaring it to the world? 
Well, you don't understand. I mean, you know, telling lies, you know, the little things. When people do that, at least they know it's wrong. She doesn't even know, and she doesn't even agree that what she's doing is sin or that it's wrong. And I said, I know. But she's just at the beginning of this journey with Jesus. How could she possibly know this yet? The, this baptism is a step that's going to get her close, closer to Jesus and growing towards him. He said, but the sin she's in is too much. It's too big, and she can't be baptized. It's unacceptable. And the, the reason I share that story with you is because there have been times in my life I would have been on the other side of that phone going, well, you know, I'm just not sure. And, and, but you know what God's grace says? God's grace is so radical that it stands on the other side of that conversation and it says this. It says, she's justified. And, and justified, it doesn't even just mean that it's just as if you'd never sinned. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up on the screen, like, this is how big, this is how big God's grace is. This is how big justification is. It means that God accepts you as if you had never sinned and as if you will never sin again. When this woman came to Jesus and she said yes, her sin was gone. Because God said, I will blot out your sin for my sake and I will never look at it again. And then when he continued to look at her, he looked at her as if he was looking at Jesus. As if not only was all her sin covered, but as if she would never, ever, ever sin again. Now the challenge for us in this story is for those of us who struggle with feeling condemnation. Like, how could, that, how could something like that be so big? How could that be real? How could that be possible? That I could just say yes to Jesus and I don't have to earn it back somehow because God's grace is that big. God's grace is that radical. God's grace, his love for you is so wide that he invites you to come and be a part through faith by saying yes you just open the gift, and then you're a son or a daughter of God, removed from the culture of judgment and condemnation and placed into a culture where you are exactly like Jesus in the eyes of God. But it's also hard for us rule followers. An understanding of God's grace is difficult for those of us who are really doing our best to live a holy life. And then we look across at someone who hasn't changed a bit they're still doing the same sinful habits, still engaging in the same behaviors, still having the same attitudes, still posting the same stuff on social media. They need to be under condemnation because they don't understand how big and how heavy their sin is. But here's what's the, the best part of grace is they don't have to understand how big and heavy their sin is because God understands it and he still said, I'm willing to justify them in my sight and I'm willing to make it as if they had never sinned and as if they would never sin again. God's grace is for you just like that. And he's inviting you to engage and he's inviting you to, to take part in this radical, incredible thing. And, and I, let me ask you this question. Like for those of us who feel condemned or who condemn others, why do you feel condemned? I mean, if this is true, why do I keep feeling so, why do I feel guilty? Why do I feel condemned? Or why do I feel like I need to condemn others? Or why do I feel like I need to judge others people? Why do I insist on that? And I would just say this, perhaps you are more acquainted with your own brokenness 
than you are with God's grace. Perhaps, maybe, maybe you can see the activity that's happening in your own brokenness and you can see, you can call all the plays that come with your own brokenness or the brokenness of others. But when it comes to watching the play of God's grace, you're just a little bit lost. And it might be that you just need to acquaint yourself with God's grace. Stop focusing and spending time on your brokenness. Stop spending time on your sin. Spend time with God's grace. I'm going to read one last passage as I wrap up. This is the very end of Romans chapter 8. And this is what it says. It says, Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons. Not our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Nothing in all of creation. You know what's in creation? Us. I'm in creation. Not even I can separate myself. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know you want to know what justification is? Just in a short little phrase. Romans chapter 8. It's how it begins in verse 1, no condemnation. And it's how it ends in verse 39, no separation. You are not condemned by God. He's not angry with you. And when you are in Christ, nothing can separate from you from him. No condemnation anymore for a follower of Jesus. And no separation for the follower of Jesus. That's grace. And that's the grace that's here for you. Father, thank you for your love, for the power of your word, God, and the power of your grace. And I just pray, God, that you would give us all just an understanding to feel the weight and the power of what it really is and what it means for us. And I pray that today, God, that for those of us, whether we feel condemned still or whether, God, we struggle with condemning, I pray, Jesus, that today that you would help us see and understand what your grace really means for us and for the people around us. And I pray that as we do, as we take the the deep breath of the freedom that comes from the grace of God. I pray that we would walk in life and in hope and in joy because in you there is no condemnation and there is no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Everyone's head back, eyes closed. You might be in this room today and you might be struggling with condemnation. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, but you just still feel like you're not good enough. You still feel like you need to earn it. You still feel like you need to do the right things or God's mad at you. Maybe you're here and you, maybe you don't think God's mad at you, but you think he's pretty mad at everyone else. And maybe today you need a new understanding of God's grace, not just for yourself, but so that you can live it out and you can model it and, and show it in the lives of the people who, who are around you, at your school, at your workplace. But today, you've struggled with condemnation, feeling it or showing it. And you need to let that go. You need to receive and accept, accept God's grace as it is, as he defines it, not us. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. Today, you've got to put down condemnation. You're setting it aside and you want God's grace. Just let me pray for you. Slip your hand up right now. Chris, I need to let it go. I need to accept God's grace. Thank you. Hands all over. Father, I pray for every, every one of my brothers and sisters who feel condemned by their actions. God, even though they may put that on themselves, even though they may even feel other people putting, them on, putting that on them, you aren't. 
God, I pray that you would show them and let them know that you do not judge them anymore in Christ, that they are not condemned and they are not guilty as they stand before you, but they are a child of God, a son or daughter adopted into your family. I pray that they would know that love and that grace. And I pray for those of us who struggle with the expectation that others need to live at the level of holiness that we do, God, and that our response to that is not encouragement to help and to lift others up, but our response to that is judgment, condemning others, God, for the sins that, except for your grace, God, we may be living in and engaging in all on our own. God, I pray that you would give us the grace of freedom from our own judgment and condemnation, that you would help us, God, to continue to walk in your steps. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done. We pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.